we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian. I'm executive director of the Center. And I'm in Hungary this week. And for this episode of Parsing Immigration Policy, I'm going to be interviewing the research director of a Hungarian institution, which is similar to CIS, but obviously the equivalent in Hungary. The name of the research director is Viktor Marshai. I uh, pronounced it in Hungarian. I hope I did it, pronounced it right. Thank you for joining us, Viktor. And I wonder if you could start just by telling us what is the Migration Research Institute, MRI, which in English means magnetic resonance imaging. It's a medical thing. So, so the, the initials, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, but our first thing is to think that it's a medical issue. So Migration Research Institute in Budapest, what is it? Why does it exist? What do you do? Thank you very much, Mark, and I'm also welcoming the, the audience. Actually, the Migration Research Institute is a relatively new think tank, a research center in Budapest. It was established in 2015 at the peak of the so-called migration crisis in Europe and Hungary, faced the arrival of almost half a million asylum seekers, mainly from the Middle East. And actually, both the researchers and the government and different think tanks realized that we had very limited knowledge about the root causes and the main dynamics of migration and refugee patterns, mainly mass migration and uh, irregular migration around Europe. So actually, the Institute was established to, to have a better understanding of what's going on in the European neighborhood, mainly in the uh, Middle East, North Africa and uh, the Sub-Saharan Africa. And of course, uh, inside Europe with the integration process, parallel societies, and sometimes, unfortunately, with the terrorism, uh, which connects to this migration issue. So this was the general aim of the institution. Interesting. So while obviously some of those challenges that happened in the 2015 crisis haven't just disappeared, but there isn't the same kind of wave of Syrians and people pretending to be Syrians as there was back in 2015. And Hungary responded with various changes, legal changes, as well as fencing, which somehow was scandalous and uh, outraged a lot of people. But those challenges have a little bit changed. What are the challenges, migration challenges, that Hungary faces now? Yeah, actually, I think it's very important that if you try to to have a look a little bit further in a strategic view, the areas and the territories around Europe, uh, just have a look at the the Middle East or the wider Middle East or or Africa. Well, the the strategic trends are not so promising. Uh, We can mention just the the collapse of Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. but uh, also my close uh, area of interest, the, the Sahel region which is actually it's collapsing now, uh, mainly the mali burkina uh triangle. This is just for listeners. The Sahel means the area south of the Sahara itself, Mali, Chad, Niger. Yeah, burkina, Mauritania. Right. Yes, and, and actually it's the strategic zone of Europe, definitely. So uh, we can be optimistic, and I think it's very 
important than the 21st century, also the, the century of migration again, which happened in many times in uh, history. And it's absolutely clear that uh, the greener pastures of Europe uh, somehow is the promising land uh, for many people uh, from the Middle East and Africa to visit us. And uh, human smuggling networks uh, and other groups also try to utilize this issue, earn a lot of money and, and support illegal migration. And of course, we uh, don't see, at least now, the, this one and a half million people uh, around our border who arrived in uh, 2015. But if we are checking the numbers of Frontex... Which still, is the EU's border, border agency. Last year, um, almost 200,000 people arrived illegal way. And that and includes the Mediterranean as well, not just... Yeah, but yeah. not just the Mediterranean. Right. Also, for example, the, the Polish-Belarusian border. And according to Roth estimation, at least other two or 300,000 people were stopped around Europe in the, let's say, bridgehead of Europe, for example. Before Egypt, they got Tunisia, to the European before, border. Before they got to the European border. And in addition, 300,000 people managed to arrive inside Europe in a legal way. Somehow, and then they provided an asylum application uh, to the system. So altogether, it's it's almost again one million people, which is not comparable with United States. Last year, two million people were stopped in the Mexican border, but it's also a challenge for you. Right, right. And actually, again, like you said, thinking strategically, Africa's population is growing. It's the only part of the world where the population really is growing rapidly. And Europe's population, if it's not shrinking yet, it will start shrinking soon. And so. I mean, this is a real challenge that transcends any immediate issues with regard to smuggling rings. Yes, definitely. And, and don't forget, we mentioned this Sahel region uh, under the Sahara in Africa. Currently, 70 million people live there. By the middle of the century, 2050, according to estimation of the United Nations, almost 200 million people. Wow. In the Sahel. There. In the Sahel region, in these five countries with limited potential for uh, resources, other grazing land, limited investment in the region. So it makes us very anxious. And these are, and you know, I mean, personally, I'm a conservative, so I'm skeptical of a lot of the climate change hysteria. On the other hand, even tiny changes in climate are the kind of things that in the Sahel can have real impact because it's already so marginal and difficult to support people. Yeah, it's, it's very important to keep in our mind uh, that if we consider the Sahara is not moving toward the south, which is actually is happening, three times more people will live there in the same area for the same water resources, for the same grazing land. Uh, even without climate change. Even without climate case. change. Right. And unfortunately, we can observe many turbulent issues there, the rise of uh, jihadist ideology which try to utilize ethnic grievances or bad governance, etc. So uh, we can see a military coup in different parts in Mali, Burkina, which also jeopardize stability. And last but not least, we see also a geopolitical struggle there, mainly conducted by Russia, which tried to jeopardize the, the Western interest in the region. Interesting. So just, this is a personal interest of mine, is Hungary borders on Ukraine. And so... Is there a concern that if things go south in Ukraine, that Hungary is going to have a new front with regard to migration? Of course, of course. Actually, this whole uh, Eastern Ukraine issue is, is is very important for Hungary. And yes, during, for example, the, the Polish-Belarusian crisis, it was also feared that perhaps uh, this 
Middle East people who arrived to Belarusia by Lukashenko press will uh, go down to Ukraine and uh, reach oh, the and Schengen area. And, oh, really? Yeah, oh, that's yeah. interesting. It, it, it uh, hasn't happened, mm-hmm. but we have to be very cautious because two years ago, uh, anybody who, who raised the issue that uh, the new big frontier of the migration crisis will be the Polish border, it, it sounds as yeah. loud. With Iraqi Kurds yeah, coming Iraqi over Kurds the Polish border. For, yeah. the, yeah. Yeah, yes, it did sound crazy and it was yeah. a real thing. So interesting. You would mention this, but... Obviously, there's root causes in climate change and geopolitical instability and what have you. But in a sense, the people who are on the move because of those causes are taking advantage of asylum policies. Europe's and, well, I mean, it's the United States. We have the same sort of the broad global asylum system. Do you see the need to reassess somehow the way we do asylum? Because it's, in my opinion, it's an anachronism. It's a holdover from the 1950s, from, you know, the immediate aftermath of World War II. And we don't live in that world anymore. And it seems to me that is what makes this migration so problematic. Because under the law, you can't just sort of dump people back. There's this whole judicial process that we have tied ourselves to, both in Europe and the United States. Of course, this is a big issue. And I think... uh it's not accidental that it's always on the table how, how we can reshape this whole uh, asylum system. And unfortunately, it's also a problem in Europe that, that even we are not ready to commit our law. Because the biggest problem with irregular migration in Europe, that even if we know this whole, uh, let's say, asylum game, that which is right. going between asylum seekers and the different institutions, whether they are they can get some, some protection from different countries, Currently, but more than 60% of the people uh, or, or the application are uh, rejected. Right. But even with these circumstances, we can't bring back these people. Uh, only about 30% of all people who is rejected uh, within the European Union are sent uh, back home. Yes, only 30%. So it means that 70% remain. So altogether, it's the best lottery in the world because if you manage to, to get inside the area of European Union, you had more than 80-85% chance that somehow you will remain You'll be here. able to stay. Yeah. So Interesting. first, perhaps we should solve this issue and then we can go back to this Geneva Convention, how we can reform it. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. In other words, European countries aren't even doing everything they could under the asylum treaty. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I guess that's probably the same in the United States because most of our asylum applicants are also rejected and most of them end up just staying. In fact, some people... You know, how do you return people to Somalia or Yemen? I mean, where do you even return them to? The Italians do return people to Libya, I think, to some degree. But I think both the United States and Europe are squeamish in this regard. Because, like, for instance, in Libya, I assume you'd have to find whatever the local warlord and bribe him. And so he would take back, you know, refugees. It's a difficult thing. And it's the kind of thing that European and American democracies are just uncomfortable doing. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I think it's a very important issue that politicians, at least European politicians, don't like bad pictures. And if you are brutally honest, uh, the protection of a border when there is a mass of irregular migrants who try to, to come in, it's not possible with good pictures, you know, because right. you have to use at least some level of violence, right. which is always attacked by different NGOs and humanitarian organizations. And I think to understand the humanitarian aspect of migration and irregular migration is very important. We should keep it in mind. But 
of course, we, we should consider the other, other parts of it, uh, how uh, smuggling networks are working, how economic migrants just try to utilize this situation to come in the country and stay in Europe and stay here. So, so I think we should follow different approaches to understand the, the depths of this issue. And frankly, even if the pictures aren't bad, the interests who, who are anti-borders will turn them into something bad. I don't know how closely you followed it in Europe, but when we had those Haitians who had camped out in Texas, there were something like 15,000 of them who crossed the border and created this kind of shanty town under one of the bridges. Our border patrol was trying to keep them out. And there was one instance of a border patrol agent with the reins, he uses the rope to control the horse. And it was turned into this big controversy where he was whipping black migrants and he wasn't doing anything of the kind. It was just the way he handled the reins. So my point is there, even a benign photograph is turned into propaganda for the other side. Yeah, a very similar issue happened also in Hungary, 2015, when a photo was made that a conservative journalist tried to kick one of the migrants, oh, okay. according to the narration. Right. And later it revealed, no, no, she just fell. And it seems that it's, uh, she's oh, kicked, so, so nothing similar happened. Right. But you know, in the... So some group tried to narrate it that right. even the journalist is uh, hitting and kicking the migrants who arrived. Fake news fake is news, what President yeah, yeah, Trump fake, called it. Definitely. Now, Hungary is, in this respect, is subject to EU rules, right? In other words, Hungary, can Hungary change its own asylum laws without the EU? Yeah, I mean, the EU is, is the determinant. No, we have common asylum system more right, or less. Right, right. We have, uh, but we can follow our own migration politics. Okay. So migration policy is... According uh, legal to immigration. Legal, legal migration is the, the part of the national law, Interesting. like uh, as asylum law is the part of the common agenda. Interesting. So you can't keep out illegal immigrants without the EU giving you the yeah, okay, yeah, but yeah. you can let in legal immigrants. <laughs> yeah, try, yeah. Well, in the United States, there's all kinds of NGOs whose job it is to prevent the border from being enforced. Do you have a similar issue here? Yes, of course, just have a look at the Mediterranean Sea when uh, different NGOs just waiting the Libyan shore to pick up irregular migrants and bring them to Italy or uh, to Malta or other shores. So, of course, it's ongoing. And uh, yes, what is also a big problem that they are also within the countries providing support for the irregular migrants to to train them what they have to say in this during this asylum application right. game. To co- coach yeah, them. Yeah, 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 to coach them, mm-hmm. you know, what are in the categories of Geneva Convention is what's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, of course, it's... Interesting. Your colleague, Christoph Veresch, who's a visiting fellow here at CIS, he's writing something for us. He made a point that for me was counterintuitive. And his point was, a water border like the Mediterranean is actually harder to police than a land border like we have with Mexico, even though there's a river part of the way, but it's still a land border. And I always would have thought of it the other way around, because if you have to cross, you know, a couple hundred miles of water, that must be harder. But his point was, no, the smugglers can just take the rafts out beyond the three mile territorial limit of, say, Libya, and then just pull the plug and the Europeans and civilized countries have to go and rescue those people. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's absolutely true. So five years ago, I also considered that uh, the sea is much better protection than uh, a border fence, but no, no, it's, it's definitely not true. Actually, the only potential to, to stop the crossing in a sea if on the other shore of the, the sea... The uh, European we, side or, or the African side? The African side, side we, right. we have reliable partners. I think it's very important, for example, to, to have a look at Egypt, 
Egypt has a very strong navy mm-hmm. and a very strong commitment because of different reasons, national pride, et cetera, et cetera, to stop the boats of irregular migrants. So in 2016, a big shipwreck happened, uh, mm-hmm. 300 Egyptian illegal migrant drones. Right. And at that point, the Egyptian Navy completely closed the sea borders of Egypt. Oh, Nobody came. If, if you compare it with, uh, for example, Libya, which is actually an open There's no gate. state anyway yeah. there. I mean, who would stop it? Uh, yeah, so, nobody. Right. I don't know if you know about this, but I mean, I don't get the sense that there's lots of people from Algeria or Tunisia, boats leaving. I mean, it seems like they're trying to police their own coasts there, that Libya is the real weak point in, in North Africa, or yet, maybe not. Yeah, but but still from Tunisia and Morocco, people are coming, okay. even if Morocco and Tunisia try to, to stop them. But you can know it's thousands of kilometers of shore. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to, right. to, to reach an NGO ship before they saw. It's a complicated issue, even if it's very visible that Morocco and Tunisia tried to stop the boats. Interesting. So the last thing you, you mentioned that national governments in the EU do have control over legal immigration policy. Is there immigration to Hungary? I mean, is it diaspora Hungarians who are like people from Romania or elsewhere? What, who, who immigrates to Hungary? Yes, of course, uh, we have a big diaspora around 3 million people around the country. Compared to how much in Hungary uh, itself? About 9.7 million. Okay. So a big portion of Hungarian live uh, outside the country. And of course, we see uh, legal immigration mainly uh, by labor force. For example, different uh, EU member states. Uh, oh, really? Move to Hungary to yeah, work? Yeah, we have many service sector uh, hub in Budapest. So, so they are involved many people. And of course, beyond the European Union, for example, Ukraine. So... Yeah. So these are jobs Hungarians won't do? I'm using an American yeah. formulation, <laughs> yeah, jobs yeah. Americans won't do. Yeah, yeah, but it's also, you know, there are special sectors in all part of the developed world where we are lacking uh, labor force. But, uh, okay. but it's very, very visible that it, uh, this problem will not be mitigated by people from Sub-Saharan Africa and the, the Middle East. Right, yeah. So are some of these people, most of the people back in the 2015 migrant crisis, and I assume to some degree now, are just moving through Hungary. Their goal is to get to Germany or to Sweden. Are there a significant number of people, whether from the Middle East or Africa, who end up staying in Hungary? Does that happen much? You know, not big messes, mm-hmm. but, but the numbers are increasing, definitely. If you are checking the statistics, the number of different communities is increasing. Three, four, uh, sometimes five-fold in the last wow. 10 years. Okay. Because, you know, if there is a big number of people moving, even, you know, if five, six, or 7% of them uh, stay here. Well, to remember that half a million people move across this 10 million inhabitants country. So even some thousands or tens of thousands remain here. It's, it's also a challenge uh, for us. So what are the big groups that are in Hungary? I mean, migrant groups. Uh, yeah, Turks, uh, Hungarians, Syrians, what are they? Yeah, uh, some Syrians, Nigerian arrived, oh, many really? Egyptian, Tunisian uh, also arriving, some Somalis, so, so, so they are, yeah. And so does that then, if they get status, that can then drive family migration, right? If they bring, can they bring spouses with them or? Uh... Yes, but there's a shift also in this policy because, uh, you know, in, in Africa, the term of family is a little bit yeah, uh, well, much yes. more extended. So yes. there are uh, strict regulation, which is, uh, can be accepted and which is not. Interesting. I don't want to put you on the spot politically here, but there's an election in April, and if the current government loses, is that likely to result in significant changes in Hungary's approach to immigration? Uh, 
if we are listening the opposition officially not but we i think we should be very cautious i'm not so optimistic that the current system will uh, survive interesting interesting we'll see what happens with uh, yes when that that's in april right is yes, the national yeah, election yeah. okay well thank you victor and what's the is there a website that people can check out? Now it's it's in Hungarian, but it's also in English. Is yeah, it not? yeah, yeah, of what course. Is, yeah. What is the uh, website? It's called in, in Hungarian migrációkutató.hu, mm-hmm. but okay. uh, if you go there, there is the English side also. And we'll have probably we'll have a link to it in yes. the show notes yeah, uh, when yeah, we post course. it. Well, thank you, Victor Marshai. Is that correct? Did I say it right? Absolutely. The research director for the Migration Research Institute here in Budapest, telling us a little bit about his institute's work, and also the challenges that Hungary faces in immigration. Thanks for joining us, Victor. Thank you very much. The conversation we just played, I recorded last week when I was in Hungary, giving a number of talks and visits about immigration. I was a guest of the Migration Research Institute, which my guest during this episode that you heard from, Victor Marshai, he's the research director there, kind of runs the shop. Interestingly enough, the Migration Research Institute in Budapest was actually modeled on CIS. They didn't have anything like that, and they looked around and they found CIS and kind of used us as their template for setting up the organization. There is kind of an irony in working with people overseas about immigration control and national sovereignty issues. In other words, it's a question of national sovereignty, but it's sort of international cooperation on national sovereignty. And yet, The fact is that all countries, not just Hungary and the United States, but everybody else face a lot of the same problems, at least all developed countries, with regard to immigration, especially when you're talking about immigration control issues. It's not exactly the same, obviously, that, you know, there are different borders, there are different flows of people. Hungary and Europe in general is obviously faces a different issue. They're next to the Middle East and Africa, so there's a different flow of people. But a lot of the challenges are the same. And there is actually a good deal we can learn by interacting with like-minded people in other countries, not because we're going to be copying necessarily any specific immigration proposals or immigration policies that they use, but just the idea of, in a sense, a kind of solidarity, international solidarity to support national sovereignty. And the people I spoke to in Budapest, not just the Migration Institute, Migration Research Institute, but others, you know, underlined the importance of immigration control. And it was kind of interesting. Uh, There's an election coming up there. It's obviously, it's a foreign election. I have nothing to do with it. But the government, the current government is, is hawkish on immigration. And the way one of the people I spoke with put it was that you know, support for the government, something like 50-50, but that support for the government's hawkish approach to immigration is more like, you know, 80-20, so that even a change in government might not necessarily lead to any change in immigration policy. In other words, that the current government under Orban's the Fidesz party, Orban is the Viktor Orban is the prime minister, and he gets a lot of bad press in this country. My sense is that's unfounded, but, you know, I didn't sort of delve into that in a lot of detail. But the fact is, the government's strong stance, especially that started with the 2015 
migration crisis there with the Syrians and other people pretending to be Syrians streaming through Europe at German Prime Minister Merkel's invitation, basically. And they basically had to traipse through Hungary to get to Germany. And that's what led to their building a fence on their border with Serbia to stop the flow. The interesting thing is that the government's tough stand on immigration, which wasn't as popular when they made it, has kind of become a consensus over there. So that a hawkish policy of immigration control that's, you know, implemented consistently and steadily and effectively can in fact change public perception and create sort of solidify consensus for keeping something like that in place. It was a interesting insight. We will have actually in another few weeks a panel here in Washington, D.C. with a couple of people from the Migration Research Institute in Budapest talking about the asylum issue in general and how, you know, how the United States and Europe face the challenge of dealing with large-scale use of claims of asylum and how do you control your borders and immigration in that kind of context. All of that will be on our website when it happens. It won't be for a couple of weeks yet. And part of it probably will have excerpts for the podcast as well. So until then, this is Mark Krikorian signing off for Parsing Immigration Policy. And if you like the podcast and are getting it from one of the platforms that allows you to rate or comment, please do so. And uh, even if not, feel free to just email us directly and give us any thoughts, positive or negative about the podcast. My email address is on the website. I'll just give it to you. It's msk at cis.org. Until next week, this is Mark Krikorian. Thank you.